Welcome to the Unbranded Podcast with Miss Dean Loves You, where we have interesting conversations with interesting people and learn about unconventional ways to live our best lives. I'm your host, Susie Dean. I'm a former teacher, mother in her MILF era, and wife. I have the incredible experience now of exploring topics and ways of living that I've always been curious about. The conversations on this pod are always relaxed, authentic, and might just teach you a thing or two. I promise that every episode will leave you with a deeper sense of self and understanding for those who are different from you. So get comfy cozy, grab a drink of your choice, and let's have some fun together. Hey guys, it's me. Happy um, Thursday night at 9.58 p.m. I, I, I procrastinated <laughs> to say, to say the least. Um, I just got to you know, I got to face it. This was, this was not my best moment, but everything happens for a reason. And I actually think that this is a blessing. So I, knew in the back of my mind all week I didn't have a guest for this week and I didn't have an episode lined up all of my guests are like scheduled starting next week and I always thought like you know I can always just get on the pod and chat and connect with my followers and my listenership um but I didn't know what I was going to talk about so I posted a poll on my Instagram story today asking what people wanted to hear about. And I suggested my Christian faith and my spirituality, uh, my new potential identity as a codependent person and therapy. I think I also um, did like wellness routines, I think, and like a fourth option. I don't, I don't really remember. But my Christian faith and the uh, woo-woo stuff was the most popular. However, I realized that that one is going to take a little bit of research and a lot of collecting of questions. So I actually have that one planned for the future. I'm going to have my girlfriend, Nicole, kind of interview me for that one because she has a lot of questions for me from her experience that she's really curious about. And I think that'll be a really authentic and meaningful conversation for you guys to listen to if you're interested. So today I'm going to be talking to you about my delightful therapist, Queen Regina, and what's going on in my therapy session. Now, before I begin, I just want to say, um, one, a lot. my mom is a big part of why I'm in therapy, which is a delight. I mean, like, that's fine. All of our parents, me included, um, fucked us up in some way. And they did the best that they could for the most part. I mean, there's nuance to that, of course. Uh, so I will be talking about her a lot. I did ask for her permission to share the things that I will be sharing. And I am very new to this um, whole codependency thing. I've heard about it. I've listened to plenty of podcasts talking about codependency. But now that it's something that was suggested as something that I might be dealing with personally, I have started to pay a little bit more attention, but I am by no means an expert. So you're learning along with me. I'm learning along through this journey. And maybe uh, I'll give you some continual updates as I go through this. And I think that this is also a blessing that I'm talking about this because maybe it'll be like a stream of consciousness conversation and conversation, um, speaking into the void, uh, that will lead me to some deeper understandings and revelations. So let's start with therapy in general. I started going to therapy when I was in middle school for anxiety. I was having very intense, aggressive panic attacks specifically surrounding my parents' death. Now, my parents are both alive, but I was just convinced at every corner that they were going to die. If they didn't answer the phone, I came up with very elaborate 
situations and scenarios in my head of why they weren't answering their phones and convinced myself that they had died somehow. That's what got me into therapy in middle school. And then my anxiety manifested into just like general anxiety, like surprise, anxiety's here. Let's have a panic attack and not always having a specific event come before the panic attack. Or I would just experience generalized, like low level undercurrents of anxiety for days, like not being able to catch a breath, having chest tightness, being really lightheaded as a result of the breathing issues, feeling nauseous. So I was in therapy in middle school for a little bit. That helped a lot. I didn't go back to therapy until I became very depressed um, my first or my second year of teaching. And that was the first time that depression had manifested for me and it was really bad. Also around that time, my eating disorder got really bad. So I found a therapist who was super awesome and really great. But you guys, it was $250 every time I saw her. (laughs) Your girl doesn't have that kind of money. We were, my husband and I were literally hemorrhaging money for that therapist. And we were doing it because my eating disorder was, was that bad that we were willing to, to spend that kind of money. Um, and there came a point where we just couldn't do it anymore. So I haven't been to therapy since. And my psychiatrist has been like, Susie, I'm a little bit worried about you. You should really be in therapy. So whatever. So I was like, let's give BetterHelp a try. This is not an ad for BetterHelp. <laughs> I was like, let's give BetterHelp a try because it's affordable. I don't really have like hardcore insurance right now. And everyone talks about like everybody's doing ads for better health. So might as well give it a try. And I'll be honest, the first therapist that I was matched with and that I chose to have sessions with uh, wasn't, we weren't, we weren't on the same level of like expectations. Let's just say that. So I tried to make it work. But after my third session, I just was like, I don't know, maybe like, maybe better help just doesn't work. Like, it's so affordable for a reason. But I just wasn't going to force it anymore because it was I was not getting anything out of it. So I decided to give it another chance. And I chose another therapist. And she, you guys, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I'm obsessed with Queen Regina. Queen Regina is a 62-year-old lesbian woman from Alabama who used to work in the prison system, and I'm obsessed with her. I love lesbians. I think that they're so cute. I love people with Southern accents, and I think it's dope as hell that she used to work in the prison. Um, I also worked in jail for a little while, so we got that in common. And anyway, oh my God, and her wife is currently getting her Reiki Master certification. So there's lots of crystals in her house. Lots of things were aligning and it was just perfect. And ever since I met her for our first session, it's just been delightful. She she just digs deep and like every time I tell her something, she'll ask me probing questions that I hadn't considered myself. And it's really challenging me to think more deeply about my experiences and she's really giving me the opportunity to dig deep into my childhood which is where this codependency story starts I did take a couple of notes so bear with me and I also looked up uh, the definition for codependency but let me let me tell you this story first for how we got here I keep coming back to my relationship with my mom in therapy. I'm an only child. My mom was also an only child. And my mom was very, very close with her mother, who unfortunately passed away before I was born. My abuela uh, was an immigrant from Cuba. And she had my mom here. My mom is just 
an incredible woman. I mean, she she learned English from watching TV, even though she stopped going to school in like third grade. She really like made a very successful career in real estate and interior design um, from an early age. And she's just an incredibly selfless, intelligent, intelligent woman. And growing up, her just the way that the family dynamics happened, it was her and her mother for a majority of the time. And they were absolute best friends, very close. My mom being the one who spoke English was very often the mediator in a lot of situations. There was a lot of a lot of dependency there between them both, um, but not in the codependency way that I'm talking about. And so when my abuela died, it was very hard on my mom. And I know, and this has been told to me explicitly, that I was kind of, um, I was kind of conceived to save my mom. That that it has always been clear to me that my role was for her. And you know what? That's fine. Like I'm here. I'm dope. I'm having a great time. I'm changing lives. <laughs> but it's it's always been very clear to me that that I am here. I was here to save my mom, really. Um, and that's just that's just the way it is. And that's that's that. I was raised to be my mom's best friend, and I always was, and she is one of my best friends and always has been. But that also comes with a lot of responsibility. I started talking to Regina because there's a lot of muddled parts of my childhood that I want to break apart and I want to figure out and I want to work through because I don't want to pass on some of what I carry to my son. I talked a little bit about this in my alcohol episode about how I'm accidentally sober, but alcohol was very present in my home growing up. I don't know if I would identify either of my parents as alcoholics. I think that's something that they would have to do on their own, but it was very normal for my parents to become very intoxicated. There was never any like violence or I was never in any danger, um, but there were often times when my parents would be intoxicated in our home. But when it became scary was, for example, after tax season, my dad would go out and celebrate with his his staff and come home very late at night after not having answered his phone for hours, just very, very intoxicated. Or my mom would come home after work with girlfriends, happy hour, very, very intoxicated. And that was always very scary for me as a child to see because obviously it's incredibly dangerous. And um, and I had a lot of anxiety around that. And that's where a lot of my anxiety around my parents dying came from. It, it can be, it's, it's a lot to, to handle as a young child to on the one hand know that you have so much power over a parent and that I knew that my birth pretty much saved my mother's life and and my existence is what she lives for while also feeling so out of control because when my mom specifically would be out and I wouldn't be able to contact her and I would know that she was drinking and I knew that she suffered from severe depression and anxiety, there was nothing I could do to protect her. So from a very early age, I, I was carrying a lot of this fear and concern 
and had to take on a lot of unspoken responsibility and maturity from a very young age. And also with, with that, my parents don't have the best um, conflict resolution skills. So there would be a lot of blowout fights in my house. Again, no, no violence, but lots of screaming and door slamming and locking in rooms or driving away and turning off the cell phone. And again, there I was. And I, I, I have this memory of, oh, I'm going to cry. And we'll talk about this more at the end, my inner child work. Uh, I have this vivid memory. It's just uh, a snippet of being in our entryway of our house and my parents had been fighting for a while and I'm like trying to get them to stop and it's not happening and my mom is grabbing her purse and grabbing her keys to leave and that's the worst thing that I could experience. Um, that would be the worst thing for me. And I knew that because I knew that once she left the house, I would not know where she was going and I would not be able to contact her and bring her home. And so my control over her and her safety was no more. So I vividly remember as she was packing up her things, just begging her to stay and to stay with me. And it's real again, it's really hard when you when on the one hand, I, I knew and I understood and was under the impression that I had so much power over her because of how much she cared about me, and then not being able to leverage that and and not being able to succeed in that because she did walk out the door. And there I am, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, eleven years old. I don't really remember in the middle of the living room panicking. My mom has left. I cannot contact her. I'm not sure where she's going. I'm with my dad, who's then so pissed off at the situation, emotionally shuts down and just doesn't have time to hold my emotions and the panic attack that I end up having alone in my room. And that happened quite a few times, uh, some iteration of that. And I, I bring this up with Queen Regina quite often. And I'm not sure why I started bringing it up. I think just because I knew, I knew there was a problem there. I, and I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew it was something that I wanted to discuss and figure out and dig around with her. So I'm going to look at my notes really quick because um, I have like a, a flow of how, how these conversations went with Regina. Um... Okay. So, hey, it's me again. <laughs> um, so I knew it was, it was an unspoken expectation or maybe I put it on myself because children are very egocentric, um, that it was my responsibility to hold my mother specifically and to hold things together. I knew that her happiness was contingent upon my happiness. I knew that and I hoped that and I was under the impression that her unhappiness could at least be comforted by me and my presence. So when situations in my home would arise uh, where chaos ensued, fights would be happening, major depressive episodes would be happening. I took it on as my responsibility to hold my mother's feelings because I knew how important I was. I know I keep saying that. I'm just, I'm fleshing this out as I'm talking. 
And so we had that conversation together, Regina and I, and I don't know, it was like an ongoing conversation. The next week I come to her and I'm talking about a fight that I had had with Robbie about the baby and, and it was kind of like a weekend where everything like the, the, it was the perfect storm. Like I had been out of my antidepressants for three days. So I was very quickly pummeling into a depressive episode. The baby was not sleeping well and was teething very hardcore, had not napped, would not go down. My husband had been out all day. Robbie had been out all day showing a home very far away. And then it was late at night. It was not late at night, but I was depressed and I wanted to go to sleep when the baby went to sleep, but the baby was not going to sleep at 7 p.m. And Robbie was just like hanging out with our friends. And it was just, it was the whole thing. And I was talking to Regina about how frustrating it was and how there's like this underlying resentment growing and how it expands farther than that weekend. Um, Fathers in general, I, I, in general, maybe this isn't the case for you, but it seems like fathers in general don't have the same guilt that mothers do. I feel like I try to do everything I can to be present with my son, to make life easier for my husband, to make life easier for those around me. Um, to sacrifice my own care for the better experience of others. And we discovered together, Regina and I, that I have something that's been like sucking the energy out of me and probably contributing to me being so on edge and anxious lately is I just have this undercurrent of resentment, this low level resentment that's always there resentment towards everyone because I feel like I go so out of the way for so many people in my life to hype them up, um, make them feel comfortable, make sure that they feel supported, reach out to them when they're having a hard time. And I don't feel like that's reciprocated back to me. And so resentment results. And at the end of that conversation, she said, now I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a word and it has a negative connotation, but I don't want you to take it as a negative connotation. I just want it to be something that you think about. Codependent. And when she said that, I, I didn't have a negative connotation with it. I didn't feel negative or one way or the other about it. I'd heard it before. I had heard plenty of podcasts on We Can Do Hard Things about it. But suddenly, since she brought it up as something that might be relevant to my life, I couldn't remember anything about what codependency was because it was never really applicable to me. It was conversations and information that I heard that kind of went in one ear and out the other, kind of maybe like held on to a couple of things, not many, because it wasn't relevant to me. And I said, okay, okay, Regina, this is exciting because this might be the opportunity to have a name for something that I've never been able to explain. So I got off of that voice call with her and contemplated it. And I didn't really do a lot of research. I didn't, I haven't read any books yet, but I talked to my best friend Colleen about it. And Colleen has had an episode with me on here. You can listen to it if you want to. She's dope as hell. She also deals with codependency, but she's been doing her therapy work for a while. So she's a a couple steps ahead of me. She's been dealing with codependency in a similar way with her mother. And we've known that we have relatively similar mothers, similar upbringing, similar ways that we held responsibility in our respective households. 
we know that part of the reason why we are such close best friends is because we're pretty much trauma bonded. Um, but I started talking to her about codependency and how I might be codependent. And the f- we started talking back and forth about these experiences and sharing these experiences and revelations that we were having that we didn't think anybody else really understood. And it was puzzle pieces. Things started making sense. And that's where I left it. That's where I left the codependency thing. Are you ready for a therapy experience that will knock your socks off? Introducing BetterHelp, the online therapy platform that's revolutionizing the way we connect with therapists. And let me tell you, I found my own therapist and she is an absolute queen. Her name is Regina and she's completely transformed my life. Gone are the days of expensive and inconvenient therapy sessions. With BetterHelp, you can access affordable and convenient therapy from the comfort of your own home. Trust me, I've been there. My last therapist was amazing, but the cost was through the roof. With BetterHelp, I found the perfect fit, and it won't break the bank. Now let me tell you why I'm obsessed with Queen Regina. Every session is like a journey of self-discovery. She challenges my thoughts, she digs deep, and she uncovers those hidden issues that I never knew existed. It's like a mind-reading magician unraveling the mysteries of my own psyche. But it's not just about uncovering the deep stuff. It's about growth. With Regina by my side, I just know I'm on the cusp of something incredible. A second spiritual awakening, a transformation that will rock my world. And Regina is there right in the middle of it all, catalyzing my journey like no one else could. BetterHelp gives you access to a vast network of licensed therapists, each with their own unique specialties. So whether you're seeking help for anxiety, depression, or relationship issues, you'll find the perfect therapist who truly gets you. And here's the best part. If you don't vibe with your therapist, no worries. You can easily switch without any penalties or awkward conversations. Queen Regina is my second therapist with BetterHelp. BetterHelp understands that finding the right fit is crucial for your mental well-being. So are you ready to find your very own Queen Regina? Don't miss out on this life-changing opportunity. Visit the link in the show notes to start your journey with a licensed therapist from BetterHelp today. Remember, your mental health deserves the best. And with BetterHelp, you're just one click away from a transformative therapy experience. Start your journey now and unlock the incredible potential within you. Visit the link in the show notes and let the magic begin with BetterHelp. I came back to Queen Regina this Tuesday with another issue or topic that I wanted to talk about specifically regarding my mom. And I had this codependency in the back of my mind, really didn't have anything to do with it yet. I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do with it yet. The problem and the issue that I was bringing to Regina this week was my mom and her facelift. My mom is a beautiful, adorable young woman. Well, young by my standards. I think she's 58 or 59. Looks great. Just so cute and fun and it's heartbreaking because she has developed very rapidly over the past few months some terrible dysmorphia regarding how she looks age-wise and she's become very obsessive about getting a neck lift or a facelift and she's looking up all these youtube videos and it's, it's literally all she can talk about. And her face and her neck are things that can trigger a very deep depressive spiral very quickly. Over the past few months, she's been researching plastic surgeons locally that are willing to do work on her that is within her price range. That was a sip of coffee. Hopefully you didn't hear it because that would be cringy as fuck. Um, and over the past few months, it's been quite the roller coaster for her emotions between very excited at the prospect of what she might look like if she can get this surgery, very devastated when 
a surgeon told her that she's going to need all of this extra work that she wasn't even considering. Very excited when she met another doctor who said that he could give her exactly what she wanted. And all the nurses were like, very great. Very depressed again when she um, found a doctor that said it was going to be $31,000. And it's just been very up and down. And it's hard for me, obviously, because I have been raised and trained, not intentionally, to hold these emotions for her. And I've, I've always felt responsible for them. And on the one hand, it's devastating to me because I think my mom's beautiful. And I, I hate that so much of the joy that she could be experiencing in her every day is being consumed and stolen by these negative thoughts about herself. And I know that if, if I know that when I was a child and I came home from school and cried to her about the fact that I didn't look like the other girls because I developed, I had my guys, I got my period when I was nine years old. Like I had, I had boobies and I was very tall way before all the other girls were. And I was an outcast for it. I know that that broke her heart to watch me feel devastated about the way that I looked in my body when she looked at me and saw a beautiful miracle. And I just wish that she could look at herself and her own inner child and treat herself the way that she would have treated me in the way that she did treat me. And it's, it's also very hard because I'm listening to her cry and I'm trying to essentially parent her through this. Uh, and it's not working and there's nothing that I can do. And I'm faced again with the fact that I don't have as much power as I thought I did. Um, I was talking to Queen Regina about how badly I want to maybe set a boundary around this because I, maybe it's just because I'm young and, you know, frankly, I don't have I don't have wrinkles and I don't have to deal with the sagging skin that plagues her in the middle of the night. But I would like to think that I will grow up to be someone who sees signs of aging as blessings and won't be ashamed of the laugh lines that I have or the way that my skin hangs a little bit lower. I I, I really hope and yearn, yearn for a life and an attitude that embraces that and doesn't feel consumed by wanting to look younger than I am. I, maybe I won't be that way, but that's what I'm hoping for. Um, so I'm, it's getting to the point where I kind of want to set a boundary with her around talking about the facelift and the face and sending me before and after pictures and different poses and because she's done all these different types of facials to lessen the puffiness and the wrinkles and it's just getting to be so much and it's really really draining to me because I automatically feel like I have to hold these emotions for her but at the same time I don't want to set that boundary because the idea of setting a boundary in that regard makes me feel guilty and it makes me feel irresponsible because what happens if I'm no longer a sounding board for her insecurities? What happens to her when she has all these very negative thoughts about herself and has nobody to release them onto and has nobody to reaffirm her? and tell her that she is beautiful. I don't know what will happen. And that's what scares me. Of course, she has friends, but you know, it's obvious I'm her best friend. And I, I feel like it would just be so irresponsible as an only child and best friend to her to not be that outlet for her anymore. So I was talking to 
Regina about this and how I know it would be healthy for me to set a boundary and I know it would be healthy for my mom if I set this boundary. But I just can't get past the guilt of what that would be. And what do I do? What do I do on the other side of that? And Regina said, well, I don't think that you need to set a boundary yet. I think you need to start with yourself and your inner child. And I think that you need to talk to her about maybe how you would be want to be parented or how you would be parenting your son through this. I want you to bring yourself back to some of these moments where you felt like you had responsibility placed on you unnecessarily and inappropriately, which you did, and advocate for yourself as you would advocate for your son. What would you tell your younger self? And I'm butchering this, but it was a really, really emotional moment because in that moment when she told me those things, told me to develop a relationship with my inner child, talk to her, journal to her, I realized that for as long as I can remember from my earliest memories, I never got to be me. I never, I never got to be a child. For as long as I can remember, I, I never had the carefree, playful energy of a kid. I, I very vividly remember in preschool looking around at all of these kids and the imaginary play that they were doing and the, the stuffed animals that they took with them everywhere and just thinking it was so dumb and, and pointless. And even, and, you know, being in elementary school and this, again, imaginary play and, and all this drama that kids would like pull themselves into. It was just also stupid and it was also below me and it was also childish. And I was just really thrust into this like adult position from such a young age. And I don't know who I am because for as long as I can remember, my role has been what I can do for others and how I'm taking care of others. And how I'm holding things together around me. So this is where all of the codependency talk that I want to talk to you about comes in. I promise this episode's almost over. I mean, this was all of the background foundational information. And and we're going to see how this manifests itself in the next couple of weeks as I learn more. And I would really like to get an expert on codependency on here to talk about this a little bit more as well. So codependency, I wrote, I wrote this down earlier. Codependents have low self-esteem and look for anything outside of themselves to make them feel better. They find it hard to quote, be themselves. They have good intentions and try to take care of a person who is experiencing difficulty, but the caretaking becomes compulsive and defeating. Codependents often take on a martyr's role and become benefactors to an individual in need. That would be my mom. I'm taking on the role of taking care of my mother. The problem is that these repeated rescue attempts allow the needy individual to continue on a destructive course and become even more dependent on the unhealthy caretaker of the benefactor. As the reliance increases, the codependent, me, develops a sense of reward and satisfaction from being needed. When the caretaking becomes compulsive, the codependent feels choiceless and helpless in their relationship, but is unable to break away from the cycle of behavior that causes it. So that's where I am now. I've been the one who has taken on the role of taking care of my mother. And it has gotten to the point where I feel that I don't have a choice 
but to do this. And now this relationship is kind of like inextricably tied to my identity to the point where as far back as I can remember, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know who, who am I on the other side of being something for everyone else. Um, this is still so fresh. I don't know how to articulate my thoughts very well, but, but this is where I am. So moving forward, um, I guess I might be a codependent girly. We'll, we'll figure that out. I'm going to really try to intentionally set aside time this weekend to do some inner child work. And I know I can already tell that on the other side of that is going to be huge transformation, revelation, epiphanies. It's going to be something that I'm going to have to intentionally set time around because I know that sitting down and journaling to my inner child and advocating for her in the way that I would advocate for my son is going to be incredibly emotional and big and and also therapeutic and comforting. So I will be looking up some uh, inner child journal prompts. I will be rubbing my inner child essential oil blend all over myself. And I'm hoping that um, at the end of that or on the other side of that, I will have some more revelations to share with you. And I hope that this is the beginning of a journey of exploring this. I hope that I am a codependent person because that will mean that I have a name at, for something that I've been struggling with. And that will mean that I will know what practices I can do to step away from it, undo some of these habits, and hopefully cut some of these behaviors out or, or cut these generational things, cut them here and not pass them on to my son or any other children that I may have in the future. So stay tuned. Uh, I hope you'll be on this codependent journey with me and Queen Regina. And hey, if you have any tips or if you're maybe resonating with this and feeling like you have some overlap in your experience as a child or as an adult, maybe let's just like do this together and I can check in every month and let you guys know how I'm doing on this journey. Let me know if that's something that you want to hear. Um, but since, uh, so that's that, I don't really know how to transition, but I thought it would be fun since I was supposed to have a guest on this week, but I never scheduled one to have you guys ask me five questions at the end of the pod, just like I do with all of my guests. So I put on a question box on my Instagram and I wrote down the first five questions that came in. So here we go. The first question that I got was, or the first statement, tips on journaling. I try to get into it, but I just can't. I love journaling. I have been journaling since I was maybe 2012. So it's been like, oh my God, like 15 years, 16 years. This question I feel like needs a little bit more context. So I'm going to answer it in two different ways. Tips on journaling. I try to get into it, but I just can't. What is there to get into? When I first started journaling, I would just sit down at the end of the day and write about my day. What happened? And I started journaling because I found little letters that I had written in like second grade, third grade to myself. And I thought it was so funny to look back on like what was important to me then And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be funny if I like wrote stuff down now and like 10, 15 years from now, I had this artifact of this time in my life documenting everything that went on in a day and drama that was going on in my life and my feelings about it. Wouldn't that be interesting? So I just started writing at the end of every day before I went to bed, I wrote about my day. What did I do? Who did I interact with? How did I feel about that? And that was it. And sometimes uh, those journal entries were more cathartic and therapeutic. And 
venting and figuring things out and dissecting through my thoughts and emotions. And I found that that type of journaling, just journaling every day, getting my thoughts out on paper, explaining my day, it kept my subconscious mind like pretty free and clear. And I knew that because if there were periods of time, like more than a couple of days that I would go without writing, I would start feeling emotionally and mentally heavy and almost kind of like bursting at the seams, like things needed to get out. But that was just me. And you don't have to journal every day. But I don't want you to put pressure on journaling. Like you don't have to journal about anything super serious. You can just sit down when you feel like you need a sounding board and you need to sort out your thoughts and just write about what's on your mind. And speaking on that, you might find help with stream of, or you might find value in stream of consciousness journaling, which is also the type of journaling that I do when I do want to have very big spiritual revelations. So stream of consciousness journaling is what it sounds like writing down everything that crosses through your mind. You sit down. I've always have a hard time explaining this. You sit down and you just start writing. Hey, it's me. I'm sitting down and I'm writing. I'm at my kitchen table. I'm not really sure what I'm going to write about, but it's nighttime. And I just got done recording a podcast and I'm really tired and I'm not like, just write and don't stop. And what you will find is you're not judging anything that you're, everything that comes across your mind, you're writing down. You're not judging anything. You're not worrying about spelling. You're not worrying about punctuation and you are not stopping moving the pen or pencil. And what you will find is as you write and as your consciousness and your thoughts are coming out on paper, you kind of naturally get deeper and all those initial thoughts that you have for the first few lines or for the first few minutes, it's all superficial stuff. And then you get to some real good nuggets of information. It's really interesting to see where your mind goes from there. Um, so what I recommend you do is you, you keep writing until you essentially feel empty. And almost always, if you commit to this, maybe 15, 20 minutes of just writing, you'll go back and you'll find there are some serious nuggets of gold, information that, have, that has been sitting in your subconscious that you did not know was sitting there, information that you did not know you needed to know, feelings that you hadn't been able to articulate or feel or knew were existing, like that is my ultimate way to really, really do the deep work. So all in all, tips on journaling, just sit down and write about your day. Even bullet point it. Getting that out is really helpful for keeping your mind clear. Tips on journaling to get into the deep stuff and maybe develop a better relationship with your higher self, stream of consciousness journaling. Um. The next ones are not as as lengthy and serious. Go to shop for clothes. I have been a three bird nest girly for years. Since probably five or six years ago, when I started wanting to be a boho girly, I looked up boho boutiques on Instagram and I found three bird nest and I had been buying from them ever since. That's where like my obsession with kimonos came from and flowy pants. That's where the whole boho era came from. When I was teaching, every time someone asked where I got an outfit from or a piece of clothing, it was three bird nest. Love them. And what I love about them too, they have really great sales and they're selection of clothes is actually becoming a lot more versatile and it's not just boho stuff. And I'm finding a lot more like MILF era outfits in there, which is fun. And I also recently found Petal and Pup online and I've bought multiple things from them. Obsessed already. Highly recommend. It's, it's, I've only bought the five things, which is actually a lot, 
I loved every single one. So that one's definitely fun to peruse and I will absolutely be buying more from them. Oh, but for Three Bird Nest, and this is not sponsored, but since I do love them so much and I was always posting about them, I do have a discount code. You can use Suzy, S-U-Z-Y 2020 at checkout for a discount. Favorite podcast right now. I'm listening to a ton of podcasts right now. Um, but let me just tell you the ones I'm listening to that are like my comfort go to listen to in the background podcasts. Have always listened to From the Heart with Rachel Brathen. It's gone through a couple of rebrands and changing of names. She's under yoga underscore girl on Instagram, Rachel Brathen. I've been following her since 2013. I'm an OG. Um, yeah, she you know, started off as she was, as the name yoga girl living in Aruba. Um, I went to one of her yoga classes in Miami. It was so cool. She lived in Aruba and now she lives in Sweden and I followed her whole life and it's, it's been quite the journey, but yeah, she just has a podcast where she just talks every week about what's going on in her life. She's very crunchy, very earthy, very, very much in line with my values. And that's really all I can say about that. It's, it's kind of one of those just like relation, like I really, the ultimate parasocial relationship <laughs> podcast. I'm also listening to, uh, we can do hard things with Glennon Doyle. Love that one. That one's my go-to for evening walks with my son. Camp counselors podcast with Zachariah Porter and Jonathan Carson hilarious. That's my go-to for um, my morning walks with my son comes out every Wednesday. And then the last one is Prologues by Mary Skinner. I'm a big fan of Mary Skinner. I've been following her on social media for a couple of years. It's a new podcast, only about five or six episodes, but I'm really enjoying just listening to her talk. I'm, I'm invested in her life because I follow her and just hearing her take on things and her experiences and just the way she discusses life is really comforting, like listening to a friend. So I think those are my top, what was that, four podcasts that are my comfort podcasts right now. Give them a listen if any of them sound like they might resonate. What are key rituals that you incorporate into your day that enhance your well-being? So I have a very intricate nighttime routine. I won't get into that now. I'm just going to pull out a couple of things that I do throughout the day that are semi-non-negotiables that absolutely make a difference. One, getting my eyes in the morning sunlight, specifically at the beach. So I go to the beach most mornings. I live very close to the beach and I get my bare feet in the sand. I get my feet in the ocean water and I get my eyes in the morning sunlight before 8 a.m. Getting your eyes in the morning sunlight is supposed to help tremendously with sleep and your circadian rhythm. There are tons of other benefits. I'm not looking them up right now. Also so many benefits with grounding and getting your bare feet somewhere on the earth lots of benefits. I'm not looking them up. You can, but I know that that is huge for me because I can tell a difference in my sleep and it just gives me an immediate boost of energy in the morning. Um, these are going to be out of order. My nighttime baths, my bath ritual is very sacred to me, but to be more general, I take a hot bath every night as often, as many nights as I can until I sweat and then I get out of the bath into a cold shower for about, I don't know, a minute or two, sometimes more. And then I go into bed. That's just, I don't know what it does for me, but it does good stuff. I take magnesium and beef liver every day that I think are great for my well-being. Those are kind of like my non-negotiables, magnesium, beef liver, and prenatals. And let's see. Yeah. Setting up my diffuser, I think. Just like blasting essential oils all over the house, keeping them nearby, inhaling them. I really need to look up the science behind essential oils. I've been using them for years, but 
keeping them around to ground, center, focus, uplift has been really beneficial in maintaining my overall emotional well-being. I'm sure I'm going to think of so many more later and I'm going to be really pissed off that I didn't <laughs> think of them now, but that's what I've got at the top of mind. Okay. I think this is my last one. As an anxious girly myself, how have you been able to practice mindfulness and presence? Oh, I'm actually really excited that this one came in because I had a very, very particular experience with this this week and I'll try to make this quick. So I'm an anxious girly and I'm just anxious, period. I'm not going to lie and say that I know how to manage my anxiety. Like, I kind of white-knuckle it most of the time. I I have not been able to crack the code except taking my clonazepam. But there are moments when I'm out in public or moments in the day when I have a second when something happens and you have that millisecond where you can choose how you're going to react, something falls on the floor. A whole bunch of work that you've been working on gets deleted. There's a tremendous line in a store and you're in a hurry. You have an opportunity to choose how that's going to affect you. That line, when I'm busy, is can very easily make me super anxious, upset, and frustrated. Getting all of my work deleted, same thing. My son knocking stuff over off the shelf, making a mess, can be instant frustration. But what I found is it's all about reframing how you view that situation my mom always said there's no use in crying over spilled milk. I can use this situation and this opportunity to waste energy and have that be a negative experience. Or I can use this as an opportunity to practice presence and mindfulness and joy and move on with my day. And I found that by training my mind to immediately go to the latter. I have saved myself so much unnecessary, icky emotion and saved myself so much time in general. I was in line at Office Depot this week and it's a long line. People around me were getting frustrated. Their energy was like really bragging, dragging me down. But I decided this is a great opportunity while I sit in this line to practice presence. How am I feeling in my body? What are the sensations that I'm feeling? What are the things that I'm hearing and smelling? How can I um, monitor and watch my thoughts? What's passing through? How can I bring some light to this situation? How can I make people laugh? I mean, these small choices bring you more positive energy into your day to counteract the potential anxiety that you would be experiencing or counter the anxiety that you are already experiencing. And while you're at it, it often will, one, save you time, and two, increase the positivity of the people around you. I hope that makes sense because I kind of blacked out and now it's 10.53 p.m., and it's way past my bedtime, but I'm chugging a whole bunch of espresso and I've been just kind of like running through today. So hopefully that answer made sense. Hopefully this episode made sense. I think if anything, this was good for me. And I think that I needed to get a lot of this out, flesh it out a little bit more. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Let me know what you think of this episode and all the other important things will be in my pre-recorded outro. I love you guys.
Thank you so much for joining me this week for this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode or you enjoy the podcast in general, I would love for you to subscribe so you'll never miss out on upcoming episodes featuring other brilliant minds and insightful topics. Also, don't forget to rate and review while you're at it. Your ratings and feedback mean the world to me and help me reach more listeners. So, Misty and loves you. Have the best day ever. Same time next week. Bye.